name is Jarrett. And my name is Elle. And you're listening to The New Leaf Project. And on this podcast, this whole podcast series, the big theme is telling the stories of Canadian starters and planters, people who are getting new things going, people who are thinking like missionaries about their context. And I'm excited today to be sharing a story uh, from London, Ontario. Yes. And, and did you know why I care about London, Ontario? L. fun fact. Are you ready for I it? I love fun facts, so mm. lay it on me. I, I, I won't say this. It's, it's just, maybe it's not fun. Maybe it's more like a, huh, fact. But th- it's a fact, nonetheless. I was born in London, Ontario. Oh, I thought you were born in the middle of nowhere in a barn or something. No, no. I was raised in the middle of nowhere, but I was born ah. in London. Ah. And if you're not from Ontario, if you're not from uh, even southwestern Ontario, you might not know what kind of makes London a bit unique is is what we would call a second city. So the GTA is uh, it's just cram, cram full of people, uh, <laughs> so much so that... If uh, you are Canadian, there's actually a one in four chance you're from the GTA. Really? That's that's a fact. Yep. That's a nothing but the facts. Nothing but the fun facts today, folks. Fun facts today. Um, and London is what we call a second city, and that's not an insult. It just means that it's uh, not really caught up in the GTA world, but it's still it's still close. To that, but it's just far enough outside the edge that it is kind of a standalone city in its region. And there are a number of other little cities that are like that. Kingston would be similar to that. But um, London is uh, um, it's a standalone city. It's it, it's in the middle of of southwestern Ontario. And uh, there are some really interesting things happening there. And you brought us one of those stories, El. So. We're going to hear about that story in the, on the podcast today. So what did you bring us uh, this week? I had the opportunity to sit down and talk with James Kingsley and Steve McDowell. And as you said, they're based out of London. Good guys. Um, good guys. Good guys. Good yeah. fellas. Good fellas. Good fellas. Steve is uh, halftime at a church in London and then also um, an adjunct professor professor at Fanshawe and I think now Emmanuel Bible College. Uh, James uh, was once a pastor and is currently doing a lot of digital marketing stuff and heading up this thing that we're talking about today, um, which is called um, the Good City Co. And we this conversation goes to a lot of different places and it's really helpful. And I want you to know don't try to grab a pen and write down all the resources that we talk to. We're going to provide all of those for you in the show notes mm-hmm. of the podcast. But there's lots of conversation that we have around how, as Christians, do we orient our lives in the places that we live. And it's a really great conversation. I know that you're going to enjoy it uh, between the three of us. So um, here it is. Take a listen. This is me and James and Steve in the second city of London, Ontario. I'm here in London with my friends, Steve and James, and we are going to have an excellent conversation today about place and neighborhoods. And so for, I'm just putting that out there in advance, it's going to be excellent. So for those who may not know you, why don't you introduce yourselves? My name's Steve McDowell, and I'm an adjunct professor at Fanshawe College here in London. teach uh, writing and communication and history. And when I'm not doing that, I'm working in a little organization 
ad hoc organization called Good City Co. And Good City Co. is basically a catch-all for a few friends and I who are up to some neighborly work in our city. Uh, place-based, place-making uh, kinds of projects. And we do it together and we do it under the umbrella of Good City Co. Perfect. I'm James Kingsley. Uh, by day, graphic designer, project manager, creative director at a local B Corporation going by the name R Traction. Traction with an R in front of it. Kind of pirate-based. Um, and uh, by night, like to play around in this city, uh, write a little weekly newsletter on London called The Localist. Um, get to hang out with Steve and the crew at the Good City Co. and see what we can do about uh, nudging people toward experiencing this city in a eh, more ways. Yeah, a lot of people leave this place. I want to help help them stick around. Help them stick around. That's great. So many people that are hanging out with the New Leaf Network these days are asking lots of questions about neighborhoods and loving of neighbor and place in a way that. Uh, I haven't heard uh, before. It's coming up more and more on the regular. And you're two people that I certainly appreciate your opinions and perspectives. And so I thought it would be interesting to have you share a little bit, um, as Christians, how you got to that place where this has become not just an, an ideal, but something that you embody, something that you enflesh and are trying to walk out. I know there's a lot of Christians that are kind of thinking about these things in a, in a more expansive way than ever before, but I'd love to hear your personal story of how you got interested as a Christian in, in place and in neighbor? I think for me, it was a combination of thinking and experience. And so on the experience side of things, uh, Brittany, my wife, and I moved to Glasgow, Scotland. We lived there for a year in a neighborhood in the West End called Partick. And I had a lot of time on my hands. And so I found myself doing some graduate work uh, while mostly sitting in local cafes. And in those local cafes, I discovered something that I hadn't previously discovered, which was there's a whole ecosystem of life that exists in our neighborhoods. And if you turn up enough, you start to meet people and experience things in a more holistic way. And I became very attached to this local cafe and started to meet people through it. So experientially, that was the first time where place became something very real. This was years and years and years ago at this point. But then on the thinking side of things, I, I started to read some different uh, books and meet some different folks who were doing interesting work in their cities. And we were certainly involved in community-based work, but this gave a new thinking around place itself, a theology of place, uh, you know, the idea that the incarnation, God taking on flesh and blood and moving into the cosmos, that that can shape our praxis as local churches, uh, as individuals, as families, as collectives of folk uh, to inhabit the spaces that we live in in the same way that God takes on flesh and blood and moves into the neighborhood, like Eugene Peterson says it in John 1 of, of his translation of the New Testament. Uh, we take up space in the fabric of the places that we live in, trusting that good things transpire when we're present to uh, our neighbors, that God woos us to himself through people, through experience, and that, that, that our neighborhoods are the microcosm of that uh, tangible place to experience these things. And encounter the other. So th those are kind of combination of reading and experience. That's what got me interested on the front end of this little adventure. Yeah, similar story. Uh, travel plays into it. Grew up in London, went out west to Vancouver Island for school. And Vancouver Island has many things going for it. Uh, Victoria has 
so many beautiful things going for it, but I would say three things that it uh, has that if you want to do a Venn diagram with right in the middle is, is place and community. Uh, it's got the beauty of nature all around there, so it's really easy to be outside. Um, it's expensive, so there isn't as much for you to spend money on to be inside. Uh, and third, it has a lot of people uh, where it's the last stop on the line, right? You can't go any more far west than that. It has a natural pull for folks who are looking for something. Uh, so when I went out there for school, it was, it was in the air out there. Uh, very different um, sense of community on the West Coast, especially in Victoria. Um, and in the uh, church community I was involved with out there really placed a lot of emphasis on just w how important it is to uh, be literally where you are um, physically. And so around the same time, uh, you know, I'm in school for fine arts. I am leaning a bit more to, toward design, start reading uh, a lot about urban design, urban planning, uh, picked up a copy of Eric O. Jacobson's Sidewalks in the Kingdom, got into new urbanism through that. At the same time, I was reading Shane Hipp's uh, Flickering Pixels, and he's drawing on McLuhan and Douglas Copeland. Throw a little Copeland in the mix just for you know uh, modern interpretation of McLuhan. So I've got all these things going on where I am looking at... Um, the idea of community, looking at the built environment and seeing where they start, uh, throw some technology into the mix and how that changes things. And I just start focusing more and more on what it means to be human in a place. And the interest just kind of grows from there. Bring the incarnation into it, into it as Steve was talking about, and all of a sudden you realize there is something very specific uh, about this um, you know, this God that we're following, that uh, place makes a difference, um, physicality makes a difference, and that, you know, the this earth that we walk on means more than we think it does. And very, very interested from there. It's just been years of exploring that since. So as you started on this journey of place-based theology and thinking through these things, what are some of the changes that you've seen in your own life or in how you kind of are viewing church or the body of Christ or mission, any of those big, simple topics that we can tackle in 30 minutes? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I would say for me, just, just to start rolling, everything has gotten bigger and smaller at the same time. Mm -hmm. uh, realizing that uh, the uh, our friend Randy Hine talks about starting the particular and then moving the universal. Uh, we're talking earlier about Andrew Jones, tall, skinny Kiwi, for those of you with Google Reader back in the day. There'll uh, be a few that yeah. remember that one. Talking about, you know, tiny is the new small, massive is the new big. Just this, this idea, uh, the more I've looked into it, the more I realize that there is uh, a lot of theoretical stuff that is extremely interesting. There's lots of uh, conversations to be had, much research to be done. And then practically, it really is as simple as literally rubbing shoulders with neighbors and walking through a neighborhood. So for me, I've been, uh, as the journey's continued, I am thinking bigger thoughts and I am doing smaller things. Mm -hmm. So the, the bigger I think about it, the, the easier and smaller the, the work toward making it practical has become. So answering the question of who's my neighbor literally has gone down to what is the person's name living beside me rather than a theoretical, which is still very exciting. I like to look into the theoretical idea, like what does it mean? Uh, I'm going to set Steve up for a great thought. 
in a moment here. Um, but also at the same time, yeah, while I'm asking the bigger question, who is my neighbor with quotes around neighbor, I'm also saying, uh, oh, it's Lisa who lives next door. Let's learn more about Lisa, mm-hmm. that kind of idea. I, I like James's and, and by way of Randy Hines thought around um, the, moving from the universal to the particular. Think of a concept like hospitality, for example. You know, we can muse about hospitality and the nuances and the intricacies of, of it as a practice. But the neighborhood provides us a canvas of sorts where we as a collective of people can can tease out hospitality and see what it means on on the ground level. And I think, you know, everyday acts of neighborliness where people are being truly seen and known, I think is going to, on a, a bigger level, uh, subvert things like polarization, loneliness. Some of the things that we're noticing about ourselves as a society right now, I think on the ground level of everyday life in the neighborhood, hospitality, presence, collaboration, I think practices like those in the microcosm of the neighborhood actually has larger ripple effects uh, that spring out from, from the small. And so James and I are very convinced about the small, that small little things uh, matter cumulatively. And so we wanna try a bunch of small things and trust that those small things have a cumulative impact uh, and are hopefully creating space where people are, are more fully known and seen and heard. And, and some of those things like polarization and loneliness and hostility are being subverted over time, creatively and intentionally, in the context of the places that we live in. So it, it does provide a bit of a canvas where we can practice these things together uh, with our neighbors. There's, there's only so long that you can talk about the importance of place before people start asking about your place. And while it takes time to get to know your place, it's only amount, <laughs> a certain amount of time before you realize, I don't know my place as well as I should. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, the, the excitement over the past couple of years has been, how do I take some of these big ideas and start living them out where I am? So making it as practical for me personally because my context is different than your context Um, and we can talk about the big and the abstract and we should but also uh, yeah how's it playing out on this canvas you know to use some of steve's language why do you think the conversation of place kind of got was has been missing or sort of got booted out of the conversation about like mission and part of our spiritual uh, disciplines being present in a place. Why do you think that's been missing? I think part of it is outside factors that that impact and shape the church. Think of urban design, mm-hmm. uh, how our cities are designed, uh, where the commons exist now, where, where are people gathering in third places uh, or gathering for connection. That has changed over time. So the, the, the modern-day suburb, for example, a lot of suburbs don't have sidewalks. Sidewalks uh, often increase our chances of accidentally encountering our neighbor uh, as our dog leashes get tied up with one another. Uh, there's, there's less and less spaces for people to encounter the other. And our neighborhoods are, are increasingly being designed uh, with, with 
limitations around mixed use. So to have that local cafe experience, you see, we see lots of people flocking to downtown scenarios where they can have the local cafe, they can have the, the, the interesting library, they can have these spaces where they might collide with the other. We see in more uh, suburban contexts, not all, and I actually think the future of this conversation has to, to tackle the, the problem and the gifts of the suburbs, right? That there's challenges in the design of suburbs right. and there are gifts in the, in the design of, of the suburbs. And so uh, I think that's going to be one of the next big conversations uh, as, as more people you know, are, are finding themselves in the suburbs. I wonder about the church you know, in that movement toward the suburbs. Uh, the, the church often was building, you know, speak to evangelicalism because that's where we're coming from, you know, building big buildings on the outskirts of town. Uh, and so I, I do wonder how place plays a, a role in, in the life of the church, partially by where they're, they, they find themselves in, right? So some of that was, you know, maybe leaving neighborhoods that they were in in the past and going to the suburbs, which is one thing. But for those that find themselves in the suburbs now, how, how do we engage this place with the complexity of its design? Uh, we have to think creatively about what that might look like. Uh, by way of anecdote, I have a friend who... Uh, at this moment is setting up a little cafe, third space, in his garage in a very suburban, newly built neighborhood. And it's going to be open up on, on Friday mornings, and he's going to, because his neighborhood doesn't have a, a third space, he's going to start it in his garage, and he's pretty well connected. Him, uh, his, his, Bree, his wife, and, and himself are well-connected people in that context, and so they're going to have a cafe out of their out of their garage and i think it's going to be fantastic because we need common spaces where we can encounter the other and that's a challenge in some some suburban locations not all but some it is for him and so they're creating their own uh and inviting their neighbors to participate in it i think it's great i would say another reason you're not necessarily seeing place be talked about or uh what was your original question um engaged with well it's just it feels like it's been missing for a right. long time from the conversation about mission or even the, like just as, yeah. as a spiritual discipline of being yeah. present to yeah. your neighbor or caring about right. that's been missing from the conversation i'm not sure if this is uh unique to the church i'm i'm sure it's happening in the wider culture as well but part of me wonders if the absolutely uh longness of it I'm trying to think of like the amount the inefficiency I'm saying with air quotes uh, the amount of time it takes to devote to place and to actually uh, be present with some of the stuff that Steve's talking about the the barriers in our way I've been in our my place 10 years now it's only in the last three years that we have felt we have got to know our neighbors well enough to start throwing uh, an annual barbecue kind of idea and that's an annual barbecue, right? Like I'm not talking like barbecues every month. Uh, this is something I by no means think I'm an expert in any of these things, but I can say that I've been thinking about it and working on it for years and years. And the fact that it took me seven years to feel comfortable enough to like start inviting people over. I'm like, that's not a conversation that's easy to maintain in a church. Like, Hey, only six more years till you can start doing what, what, what we're aiming for. Right. This point that we, it's, it's very hard to trust the process. Um, also the ends and means, right? Like, are we more concerned with the ends? Or are we more concerned with the means? We're often focused on the ends. 
and think that we're not doing anything worthwhile until we see the ends, right? And we forget that the means, to my mind, is part of what Christ was pointing us toward when he asks us, you know, well, or, or, sorry, when he shows us who our neighbor is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's what's in front of you right now. Um, yeah, I think I th- think some of that air quote inefficiency and taking forever to see results coupled with the idea that results is what we're looking for. Right. Uh, part of the problem. Right. And Challenge. Uh, yeah. Opportunity. Opportunity. There we go. I wonder if part of it, uh, not to rage out against overly programmatic churches, but the idea of becoming part of the fabric of your neighborhood requires time and reposturing and you know, an ear and an an effort to the the local economics and built environments that you find yourselves in. And and, and so that uh, in in a setting where a church is demanding lots of your time for things that are going on within the context of that congregation, uh, I I just am less and less convinced that you can have it both ways, that you can have your people very, very invested in the programs that you run out of your church in hopes that uh, the neighborhood's going to respond and want to come and be a part of that versus freeing your people up to be more intentionally placed in the context that they find themselves in and forming collectives within that. Uh, I think there's something to be said about that reorientation. And I think the, the challenge with the, the, the problem of place is people are wondering where they fit it into their schedule. I'm going to throw it on top of all these other programs and my work and the other social circles I have. It seems like just another activity to add on. And this is a, this is right. I mean, we don't want people to burn out. So as the church, I think we have to free people up to be present and creative in the places that they call home and to, and to form collectives of people who are going to uh, aid them and each other uh, in that endeavor. And so I think there is some onus on the church as we became more programmatic. Uh, we took people away from their places, you know, as church became something to commute to, which of course historically it, it wasn't, uh, but, but now it is. So how do we play within that, right? The, you know, uh, we're talking about bigger conversations around urban design, but, but with the design that we have, we certainly advocate for better design and placemaking, all of those things matter, and, and maybe we'll get to some of that. But I, I think at this point in time, part of it is saying, how do we free our people up? You know, programs are good. They're good for, for especially for those who find themselves within the church. Uh, but how do we free people up to be present? A lot of time programs are filling a gap left by poor urban design that you actually aren't going to be able to solve Mm -hmm. if you're living in that built environment. Sometimes the built environment creates the need for a program, which then in a really circular fashion (laughs) keeps you from trying to change the built environment. Mm How have you seen this conversation, like as you've been more present in your neighborhood or have been even sharing this content with other people, um, how have you seen that change? It feels like place demands something of us. Mm-hmm. Like, oh. So how have you seen that ch- that change your own, like, things, that, the way that you live? And how has that changed your daily routines or habits as you've kind of postured yourself toward that? I don't know if that makes sense. That question makes sense? Yeah, I, w- I would be leaning toward more routines and habits that are highly interruptible, less routine and less habitual. <laughs> I mean, making a habit of being available, um, making efforts to be uh, ready 
I mean, the amount of time that I'm sitting on my front porch just to bump into people walking by, that takes a lot of time. And some nights nobody walks by. Mm. Other times I'm out with a dog. Uh, other times, you know, like there's, there's time and place for everything. So your, your question about how's it changed my habits, I'm questioning a lot of my habits. Mm. Should, should I have habits? Mm-hmm. Should I have practices? Or should I just aim to be doing what I'm doing and paying more attention to where I am when I'm doing it? Mm. Um, not to say that there is no overarching. This idea that, yeah, it's the means that's more important than the ends. Uh, you have to have a conversation about the ends at some point to, sure. to point you in a direction. Yeah. I think maybe for me it's been a combination of, of posture and um, scheduling. And so I, I'm starting to ask my question, myself the question of do I have enough margin in the daily rhythms of my life to be disrupted by my neighbors? Right? Do I have enough space where... If inclined or if something comes up, I can I can respond uh, in the moment and and follow the path that that leads. I think part of it is also posturing in the in the sense of I live in the center of our city and there are great spaces where people are finding one another and connections are being made and so I spend more time in those places and so that's that's in large part my my local cafe local library these are places where there's still some residing sense of of a, a commons where people can find folks that they have no business being around the same table with and through that and and kind of listening in those places and meeting uh, the the people who inhabit them a lot of creative ideas and longings have been shared and they exist in our neighborhoods if if we're positioning ourselves and creating enough space to be disrupted by them. And so I think it's a combination of those two things, which is, has led to a more expansive sense of, of neighborliness and, and collaboration in the place that I live in. It's been great spaces that have hosted uh, enough, um, enough space, I guess, to, to, for, for me to encounter the other. And that's led to friendships and uh, projects and taking our neighborhood more seriously because uh, I, I'm sensing that in my neighbors is that they're longing to collaborate on things that, that matter and that are meaningful, that impact people. They want to use what they have in terms of gifts and capacities to do it. Uh, they want to be seen and known. Right? Our, our great fear is to be truly seen and rejected. But I think in, in the context of our neighborhoods, we're given the opportunity to be seen and known and welcomed and uh, accepted and leveraged, not in a manipulative sense, but in a sense that you feel like you're tapping into your longings and hopes and capacities for the sake of the neighborhood. And in my neighborhood, that's that's transpired because of the third places that exist there that are creating space for people to meet each other. Um, and then a bunch of placemaking projects like, you know, street fairs and uh, festivals and different uh, uh different creative endeavors in in the neighborhood have helped with with finding folks and then forming collectives and so some of those collectives are very particular to to my neighborhood some of them span the central neighborhoods we have people in different spots and we come together to work on things that we think should matter to our city and uh, hopefully we'll have some kind of residual impact that's that's meaningful i think some of 
some of the struggle, some of the transition that I've been working through uh, for the sake of alliteration, it might be making it a bit bigger than it is, but this idea of me shifting from like a savior mentality to a servant mentality and that idea that uh, when I first started thinking about this a lot more, it was like, oh, what what can I do to save the neighborhood? What can I do to to bring my neighbors into the fold? What can I do to like, it was all me-centered, very savior-ish, right? Uh, and the, the transition has been, you know, Steve, when you're talking about margin, that just kind of kicked out. Oh, it's much more the attitude of a servant is, I'm at somebody else's beck and call and whether, whether that somebody else is, you know, me listening to the prompting of the spirit, or if it's my actual neighbor saying, I need a hand with this, uh, the, the transition I've been trying to make is toward being, having that servant mentality of being ready, um, to be ready means there's often lots of waiting around mm -hmm. and that it does not come naturally to, well, me personally. Uh, but I don't think it also comes naturally to a lot of people in this society where time is money. If you're not doing something, you're not worth anything. Uh, and you can tie it back to the Protestant work ethic if you want to go through the church. If we're not actively doing God's will, God's not getting anything done, right? That that whole idea of, yeah, that could go very lots of places. I want to try and keep it positive here. <laughs> but that transition of moving from Savior to servant uh, is hard. Mm-hmm. So for people who are church leaders or church planters or people who are considering starting new things, what are some of the important things you think they should consider about place and about caring about their neighborhoods and neighbors other than just, you know, encouraging them to do it? Like, what are some of the things that they should be thinking about? Lowering the bar. Like, really making it very simple. Making, like, the encouragement uh, to... One of the biggest things that my wife and I have done has been, as I was talking about earlier, sitting on our front porch. And we weren't the first people on our block to do it, but Seth Godin's got that great analysis of the video. It's the second, what is it, the movement, the first guy dancing at that. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. Getting lost. If you haven't seen the video, it's a video of some, like, exactly some festival, some guy on the side of a hill is just dancing like a nut, uh, listen to this music. And everybody's kind of looking at him, laughing a bit. And then some other guy comes up and starts dancing with him. And it's that second person joining in that causes this huge dance party on the side of the hill to break out. Uh, so my wife and I are looking ways to, to, you know, be a bit more present in the neighborhood. Well, one of our neighbors, they're out on their porch a lot. They're a little too far for us to, like, cross the street and go over there all the time. We do know them. We're going to start sitting on our porch. Well, a couple of weeks later, neighbors across the road, they're on their porch now. And we're all talking. We're separated by a road that really sucks, which means we're not talking as much. There's lots of buses going by. Mm -hmm. But now we there's two houses on my side of the street that are talking to people who are walking by. And there's an extra house on the other side of the street that's talking to people who are walking by. A couple months later, a friend of mine who lives around the corner is like, oh, man, your porch totally inspired me to build a porch on my house. So we didn't have a porch. Now they've got a porch. There is nothing uh, extremely ingenious about anything that I just said. <laughs> people, front porches have existed for years. Um, people have sat on front porches for years. It's right? just often people have chose to sit on their back deck. Right. So it, like this is, there's, there's not much new under the sun when it comes to yeah. getting involved in your neighborhood. And I think... Sometimes the pressure of we need to make a difference in the neighborhood is is just too high for people to to do. So what, what can pastors, what can what can leaders do? Uh, share stories of very small things and don't add the extra pressure of because it will lead to this. Just 
share the example. I mean, there is, you know, give dignity to the, to the, to the small acts because that's what Christ celebrated in all the parables. Eh, one sheep, one coin, right? There is, uh, there is much in our faith tradition to support and encourage the seemingly inefficient uh, acts that do go somewhere, but who cares where it goes? It means something in the moment right now. Mm-hmm. I think there are maybe some practical ways to pivot towards the places that we live in and you know, for pastors or leaders, community leaders to, to uh, invite citizens, congregants to do that. I think we, we, we don't want to make the assumption that people are inhabiting the places that they live in first. Uh, and if we don't make that assumption, then maybe we nudge folks in, in a direction of, you know, for example, experiencing their places with all of their senses. This is something we're trying to encourage people to do in our city, believing that if we experience a place uh, holistically, utilizing all of our senses, we're less likely to dream of being somewhere else. We're less likely to envision greener pastures in some other city to move to. You know, we want to experience the places that we live in in a, in a more robust way sight, smell, touch. Uh, holistic experiences create attachment. And so we, you know, we think of the stories that matter the most in our lives. Chances are our senses are being utilized in them. So we want to utilize our senses. I think that partly means encouraging people, if they can, to walk instead of drive. Thinking of our city, very car-centric mm-hmm. city in terms of transit. Um, but when we're driving in a car, say you're driving 50 kilometers an hour through your city, uh, the, the speed you're driving, the, the intentionality needed to drive safely, and the device that you're in uh, keeps you from experiencing your city holistically. So you drive through it, you drive into your garage if, you're, if you happen to have a garage. Uh, your connection to the place that you actually live in is quite limited if that's the, the primary mode of transit that you use. And so finding ways to walk, if possible, instead of driving, uh, to get out and experience it holistically seems... Uh, minimal in terms of impact, but over time, cumulatively, that that transpires into more uh, attachment. I would, if I would encourage people and and have to try and find the places where people hang out, especially in neighborhoods that don't have uh, typical third places like cafes. Where are people hanging out? And maybe it's the local park. You know, I love public spaces are important, and I think we're reclaiming public space a bit. You know, uh, Jacobson, which was referenced earlier, refers to public space as the great equalizer, that you own it as much as I own it, and that matters, and that means something, that something can be enjoyed that's not private property, and we can enjoy it together. That means we can make something of it together. And so in, in maybe more suburban contexts where there is public space, but there isn't third places in terms of, uh, I mean, public space is a third place, but in terms of uh, coffee shops, and libraries, you know, a, a public park might be a great place to host a, a neighborhood barbecue because we all share it in common. Uh, finding the places where people gather, turning up to stuff, you know, turning up to the neighborhood association meeting, uh, the the critique meeting of, of local issues, whatever it might be, uh, just turning up and noticing who's there and who's not there uh, matters in terms of our presence in a place. Uh, I think even shopping locally, it, it, it seems like a menial, trivial thing. But getting to know the person who makes the thing that you purchase uh, and their story and their network of connection 
you know, we used to use language of, uh, of the person of peace in a neighborhood. I don't yes. know if people still say that, but there are certain people in our neighborhoods. Yes. Do you? Yeah. There are certain people in our neighborhoods who have a great sense of the social connections that exist, who have a good sense of what people are doing and what people are up to. So we don't always have to start new things, but we, all, we might have to find the person who knows what's going on uh, in, in the deepest sense and figure out who we need to get connected to and how we can leverage ourselves for the sake of our neighborhoods. So I think inviting people to consider place in very practical ways like experiencing it holistically, trying to walk, hanging out at a cafe uh, with an openness to connection, you know, finding the person of peace. I think all of those things cumulatively on their own aren't, aren't significant, but cumulatively over time and what they can inspire uh, would lead us to a place where we can really listen to the hurts of our neighborhoods, the needs, the longings, and to respond in faithful, helpful ways. I think we need to be present enough to, to know our neighbor. And it's not enough to love our neighbor in an abstract sense. We have to be present enough to know our neighbor and to respond to who's in front of us. And believing that the Spirit of God, you know, my theological bent is that God's already at work in people's lives. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then to be able to, like we often say at New Leaf, like people are often having spiritual experiences that they have no language for, mm. or that they have no under like to it's not their fault. They have no no framework to put it in, and so when we're not present to people, our neighbors or people our city in our cities, how are we ever going to say? I think I might. Hey, if you're having a spiritual experience. You haven't lost your mind. You you might be experiencing this thing. Mm -hmm. And how do you walk yeah. alongside people when they're having those? If you aren't present to them, you don't know them, have no relational capital mm -hmm. to connect with them. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's missing, it feels yeah. like, from often a lot of our conversations yeah. that we're having at church. Yeah. It's, mm -hmm. Paul, it's Paul naming the unknown God. It's the God. Ethiopian eunuch being baptized inside the road. There's a, there's a, a role if we're present something god's gonna put something in front of us yeah, I think so. um, but see, i just want to harken back real quick to steve's point about the holistically if if you're looking for really practical ways to encourage people like I'm homing in on, on what you said about the senses just focus people around physical senses we are talking about a physical thing so mm -hmm. think uh something to see something to hear something to touch something to taste uh anything that falls in you know barbecues concerts but don't think about, oh, should we do a barbecue or should we do a concert? Start your thinking, what speaks to our sense of taste, uh, like food taste, not taste in yes, yes. culture. Uh, you know, what, what speaks to ears, what speaks to eyes? Like actually think about the senses and start, start from that perspective. This idea around senses inspired a project that James and I started with some friends called The Localist. He alluded, he alluded to it in, in his introduction there. But The Localist is a local publication that we started in hopes that uh, by highlighting the many experiences that you can encounter in our city, uh, you know, in, in, in participating in those things, you might become more attached to our city. And we, we grew tired of seeing our friends leave for better cities. And we also grew tired of seeing local businesses that our friends start fail because there's just not enough people darkening the doors of them. And so it was a twofold thing in hopes that, that again, the more holistically we experience our places, the less likely we are to go somewhere else, to dream of being somewhere else, and the more likely we are to be useful in our, our local context. And so that's why we started that uh, publication was to nudge people toward the many experiences that make 
this city the endearing city that it is? There's much witness to be born, especially around London. Uh, we could get into London and spend a whole podcast on London itself. But I mean, if you're listening to this from outside London, you probably don't have much of an opinion of the place because that's the rap we kind of get. But Steve and I know that there, because we've been trying to get connected ourselves for so many years, there are many, many beautiful, inspiring, exciting things going on in the city. And as we are able to connect people to that, their love for this city and for the place that they are in definitely changes and grows. Um, And it's not a hard thing to do you just have to have your eyes open for it especially if you're focused on the small oh yeah Yeah, right if it's all about the small then any little act that nudges us towards being a little more neighborly a little more present a little more collaborative a little more hospitable that's a i think a tremendous win that we ought to celebrate very broadly we're talking we've put out lists about the best like strip plazas like here, like this neighborhood that nobody ever goes to has like these four, we called it Plaza Palooza, right? Like these are sweet plazas. Like there are cool things going here. You know, the, the, the local, uh, not local anymore, newspaper just did their best of the city awards. And there's so many chains that won. Pizza Hut. Tomorrow. Best pizza. Not this year, not this year, not, <laughs> not this year. Not this year. But past here's what we Pizza Hut. But tomorrow's list, we're actually highlighting the businesses on the list that won over the runner up being a chain. Right? Mm. It's super simple, kind yeah. of tongue in cheek. David Goliath, kind of funny. Yeah, but that's yeah. the simple thing. Hey, look, look, London, like uh, as a city on the whole, the chains are starting to lose a little. All of you who think that we just love the chains, well, no, we're losing. Like, we're losing that aspect of who we are. We're going to celebrate the businesses that beat the big guys. If people were looking for a few resources that would help them further along in this conversation or spark spark their interest, what would be a couple of good ones? Hmm. And of course, I'm thinking yeah. a bit of like Christian leaders, but it doesn't mm-hmm. certainly doesn't have to be a Christian resource. Sure. I uh, man, I would go. I would go back to Hips and Jacobson. Uh, those are two great, great books back in the, I mean, it's been a long time since I've read them, but they sparked quite a bit mm-hmm. for me. Sidewalks in the Kingdom and Flickering Pixels. And that will lead you into, uh, for me, those were both uh, introductory. I don't think they were, I don't think Hips or Jacobson each thought that they were putting a ton of original thought into it so much as making new connections for the church, sure. right? Definitely they were pointing, pe- pointing people in one area the church who had been ignoring work being done in other areas um so they will lead you into to other resources as well but i i really enjoyed the uh, perspective that they brought and this is like 10 15 years ago 15 like it's getting dated but mm-hmm. i think it's solid enough uh, introductory mm-hmm. uh, material it's a great place to start mm-hmm I think a lot of this podcast and a lot of stuff that New Leaf is doing, you are really paying uh, a lot of attention to telling small stories, which make a big difference over time. And so I'm not just saying that because you're talking to us, but uh, for, uh, yeah, you you bring a very unique perspective in that you don't mind keeping the focus very small mm-hmm. in certain areas. You've got, uh, you shine a laser beam on things rather than just a big floodlight. So I, I appreciate that. So check out newleafnetwork.ca. <laughs> You might find a few things. Yeah. I think um, a book that's been very helpful for a lot of churches pondering place is a book called The New Parish, uh, put out by uh, three guys out of Seattle, um, Sparks, Friesen, and uh, Sorens. 
Tim Sorens. Great people doing great work out there, uh, and that's been a helpful resource. I think a book called Slow Church is, is a great way to ponder some of the practices of the church and how that might impact place. Um, uh, C. Christopher Smith, who, who wrote that, also wrote another book called uh, Reading for the Common Good, about how reading is forming neighborhoods and shaping neighborhoods, which is a really interesting read. I think outside of Christian um, thinking, uh, Jane Jacobs, if you're thinking about the actual urban design of a place and how we've gotten to where we are in terms of the design of cities, reading Jane, Jane's work is, is always profound and insightful, even though it's getting on to be the older end of things, at, at this point, it's still prophetic in a lot of ways. Uh, I think Tactical Urbanism is another book. Uh, if you're thinking about uh, how do we form community and spark connection between people through uh, creative practice in our neighborhoods and especially underutilized spaces, it's a great book to look at. Truthfully, I don't, I'm not reading a lot of books. I'm, I'm more reading articles and tweets than books these days. But in terms of articles, City Lab, Pop-Up City, uh, Strong Towns, these are all great resources in terms of what it looks like to be present in a place. Uh, and and they, they've got helpful ideas for that. I think yeah. D- Douglas Copeland's biography of Marshall McLuhan, I love that. McLuhan, I mean, started a lot of these conversations about how um, technology affects people and Copeland's got this great artistic take on that and so I love watching how those two kind of dance together uh, again older publication but still lots to be inspired by in there I even think of um, you know podcasts people who just love their city just watching people who love their city talk about their city uh, creative muscle out of Chicago uh, it's in their opening theme song from Chicago I mean they're doing great work and uh, they're, I mean, they're just taking um, a look at the people and places that make Chicago what it is. And I take a lot of inspiration just listening to them be inspired by their city and uh, talking to the people that have made it what it is. Lots of great stories. So, you know, find, you know, getting crushes on other cities and finding out who shares that crush, right? You don't have to feel like you're cheating on your own city. You're, um, there's lots of, lots of inspiration to be found by looking to greener pastures uh, without necessarily stepping over the fence. Mm, That's excellent. Well, I'm very encouraged and inspired by the both of you, the things you're thinking, the work you're doing, and it's an honor to have you on the podcast. If people wanted to get in touch with you, best way to do it? JamesKingsley.ca. Shoot me an email. It's mostly designed up there, but uh, I'll talk about anything. (laughs) Uh, SteveMcDowell.com and on Twitter and Instagram. Steve McDowell. Or just talk to Elle or Jared. Yeah. Get in touch with us. We'd be happy to punt you over to them. Thanks a lot for the conversation, and I'm encouraged to see what you guys are going to get up to next. Thanks for having us. Thank you. That was our very own Elle Pike talking to James Kingsley, Steve McDowell from my birthplace, London, Ontario. Did you drive to London, Ontario to get that I sure interview? did. So that was on lo- live on location. Live well, on location in mm, London. Hmm. The good couldn't you feel the good vibes through I could. the audio there? Yes. I could. I could. So Elle, talk to me a little bit about what some takeaways you had from that from that interview. Yeah, it, it, you know, we went to a lot of places and so I it was a great conversation, but I love what Steve and James are trying. Um, you know, the Good City Co, the things that they're trying. Um 
you know, it's a civic organization that, and they're trying to create projects and platforms and, and things that will help people in London take pride and ownership over the place that they call home. And so they've tried a number of different things, um, stuff about the art of neighboring and events and film festivals. And I know on, a, on an episode that we're going to share, uh, in the future we talk about one of the things that they created which was enneagram in the city which we're super excited about that's for an, another episode that we, we have but um just this idea of being present in your neighborhood and I, I love that we're having these neighborhood conversations i think they're they're super duper important um and i i just love how we were able to share about some of the resources and how you get there because i i think this conversation about place-based theology and, and verbalizing a theology of mission and place and, and the church is so important and recognizing why place matters in the stuff that we're doing as Christ followers and what it looks like for the church to be faithfully present in a geographical context is so important. And really that's what we, that's what we touched on. And, and that, that's where we went with that conversation. And there was lots of resources, as I mentioned at the beginning, we'll have all of those in the show notes. Um, but it's fun to see how people who are doing pastoral work, um, kind of move along, not from pastoring, but moving along from that, those traditional thoughts of what it looks like to do church into more of a, instead of that go come and see into more of the go and be, how do we, how do we go and, and discern the things in our neighborhoods that can be leveraged for the sake of mission and evangelism. So um, I really appreciate what they're doing. I love that they're starters, that they're trying things in their neighborhoods. Um, the Localist is so great. You have to check out this website. Uh, it's part of their stuff that they're doing. Essentially, they're making lists of all the good things in their city so that other people can who live in London can appreciate the good things that are happening in London. And uh, it's certainly worth checking out. Yeah, I, I, we love featuring starters because what starters do is they help create new possibilities for the church. And uh, it's a unique role. It's uh, not a very well understood role, but it's super, super duper important as we tell this Canadian story because we do need people conducting experiments so that the church can catch up, so that we can we can learn a bit more about what's out there and 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 how we need to shape our lives together to thoughtfully and helpfully engage with our neighbors. So uh, I'm very appreciative of these two. I'm excited we're having, uh, this isn't the only episode we have with them on the podcast. They, uh, this Enneagram and the neighborhood thing, I'm excited about that episode. Um, on that episode, Elle and I might be publicly revealing what our Enneagram numbers are. Um, we've been using the dun, Enneagram. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, yeah, we, we've been, uh, using that as part of our team building and, and, and understanding each other. Uh, we've also been using it as part of, uh, our, our help for helping planters discern, um, what they want to do. And so, uh, it's, it's been a, a very helpful way. And just the way these two guys think about that in the neighborhood, it's totally brilliant. So I'm excited to bring you that episode, but back to this. Um, yeah, friends, if we want to be missionaries in Canada, it's all about, uh, understanding your place. And it, it's it's also, it's very important for us to learn how to do uh, what, what 
many others are calling local theology. So many times our denominations see theology as a centralized um, mm-hmm. a centralized reality. So it's a group of people in a room making a decision for absolutely everybody in that particular denomination. It's not to say we shouldn't search for universal truths. It's not to say that 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 um, some of that work is is illegitimate. I'm not saying that at all, but sometimes the only way denominations do theology is in this centralized way. And there's something powerful about understanding the gospel in a located space in, and how does it live itself out here that is equally important and does so much to help us understand uh, the Canadian environment. So these two guys out there using their pastoral skills as starters, getting things going, getting conversations going, and I'm excited for what they're going to generate. And friends, I think you're going to be hearing a lot more from these two guys uh, in the future. Absolutely. Um, they're I love just what you said, hitting though, their stride. About, about the- yeah, I love what you said about the um, the idea of like local theology. Like, I think that's something that really we haven't even begun to explore. Um, and it's something that we should think about because a church, we, you know, if we're going to talk about Southwestern Ontario, you kind of, you kind of hit it a little bit at the beginning there. Like Kitchener and Waterloo is not the same as London and we're certainly not the same as Toronto. So if we're thinking about churches rooted in the neighborhood, the things that you would experience in a neighborhood in downtown Toronto would be so drastically different from the neighborhood of the church that I attend. Um, obviously some things are common that are common to everyone, to the human experience, but it's so different in our contextual theology for that place should change because the place is different. And so mm-hmm. um, I think being aware of those things as we continue to think about what it looks like to be on mission is so, so important. And it's kind of like a bit of a missional shift in our imagination a little bit. Well, Al, I really believe that 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 that, that phenomenon of, of the local uh, coming into play as you do theology um, is is it's absolutely the missionary task. If you think about what a missionary has to do, they have to go into a place, they have to understand the local language, the customs, the way of life, and then they have to think, how does the gospel translate here? And the missionary takes the first stab at it, but really it's the community that rises up from, from those initial uh, stages that, that really um, work out uh, in finer detail, what the gospel looks like here. And if we can figure out what the gospel looks like here, then we can use words that actually make sense to our neighbors, uh, and, yeah. and share it in a, in a more meaningful and helpful way. So ultimately friends, that's what I think the church in Canada needs. It's part of why, um, the church is in decline and we haven't found ways to share the gospel is because we've forsaken this work that we need to do. So I'm excited uh, when starters and planters take stabs at this, they step out, they follow their their God-inspired imaginations and they try new stuff. So that's uh, there's more of that on, on the New Leaf project as a podcast. Um, that's the kind of stories that we feature. We're going to hear more from these guys, but we've been focusing a lot lately on the neighborhood. And, and this is why, uh, we care so much about the neighborhood is because, um, this local stuff really matters. So it's something that it's something that also just to try to cut you off there, it's something that new leaf has always cared about. It's not really a new thing that we've cared about because you've been doing, especially through the new leaf design shop, the Mm -hmm. idea of doing neighborhood mapping exercises and neighborhood analysis walks and those kinds of things have been central to church planting for a number of years in the Mm -hmm. training that we've done. Um, But as we try to help people 
not just church planters. We want to share those stories and have those conversations about neighborhoods because like regular people who aren't doing church planting can start to get involved with this kind of stuff and talk about a missional theology in a neighborhood and place-based stuff. So I think, I think we've always, it's always been important to us, but um, it's just, we want it to be important to everyone, not just people that are doing church planting work. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the more people that join in and try something new, uh, the, the better, in my opinion, and, and, and the better um, what we, what we come up with will be. We need that creativity. We need that diversity. So Al, absolutely. if people want to watch this story unfold, if they want to stay close to what's going on in the New Leaf Network, how do they do it? Well, our website is always a great place to connect in, newleafnetwork.ca. Sign up for our newsletter. We send it out a few times every year. Try to keep you updated with all that information. Um, subscribe to the podcast so you can keep hearing these stories. And also follow us on social media. We are trying to update that as much as possible and let you know where we are. And send us an email. If you've got someone you know who's doing great work in the neighborhood, um, we would love to hear about it. So hit us up. Send me an email, l at newleafnetwork.ca. Jared at newleafnetwork.ca. We would love to hear from you and connect in and tell us the stories because we want to keep highlighting the things that people are trying in all across Canada. All right, friends, you heard it here first. Uh, these brand new ideas about neighborhood. Um, we're grateful you join us. We're grateful you give us your attention. And, uh, and so we look forward to the next time we get to hang out uh, in your earbuds. And uh, um, so thanks for listening and thanks for being here. Bye-bye. Bye, guys. Bye.